This is Jim O'Donnell from the Taos Land Trust. You are listening to our podcast about land, water, culture, and conservation in northern New Mexico. Hello? Hey, Isabel. Hi, Jim. Tommy. Yes. We, we got it. Can you hear me okay? Yes, I can. I should. I have here with me this morning Isabel Yenchins and Tommy Casados to talk about the New Mexico Healthy Soils Initiative. Why don't you guys go ahead and introduce yourself? Isabel, how about you start? Yeah, good morning. My name is Isabel Yenchins. I'm with the Healthy Soil Working Group. Um, That's really a grassroots advocacy group here in New Mexico. And we are best known for our work on the Healthy Soil Act that passed in the spring of 2019. Um, And further, we're really working with farmers and ranchers to um, forward soil health in New Mexico statewide. Great. And why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? Uh, Well, so as you could probably hear, I have a little bit of an accent. So I was born in Germany grew up there as well, and then um, actually had a career as an artist um, in theater, graphic design, uh, film, um, and uh, came to the U.S. 14 years ago, first to California. And that's really where I also started to, um, well, grow my own food, and which was a radical thing to do. Um, I had always wanted to do that. My grandmother, famously, you know, it always skips a generation. My grandmother uh, was a farmer. Um, and so I finally got to do that in California, um, studied also organic agriculture and permaculture and uh, worked in farmer to farmer education at a nonprofit called the Ecological Farming Association. So Tommy Casados, you're, you're out in Tierra Maria. Yeah. My turn? <laughs> yeah. yeah, go ahead. Yeah. yeah, how about you introduce yourself? I am. I'm in Tierra Maria. I uh, was raised here on my family's uh, cow-calf operation and irrigated uh, Timothy Grass Hay uh, farm. Raised alongside my cousins. Um, I'm the fourth generation to actually to live here on the family operation. I went to college at New Mexico State, um, got a degree in ag because it was what something that I knew. I went into range science um, and got in with the Natural Resource Conservation Service internship program and uh, worked for them for quite, quite a little while uh, as a range management specialist, a soil conservationist. And then I did some uh, a three-year stint with the Forest Service as a range management specialist in charge of a district grazing program. Um, and all while I was doing that, I was uh, able to move back home, uh, put a house up on my family's ranch, living alongside my grandparents and my parents, right next to where I grew up, uh, working the ranch. And um, since college, I always kind of, I had a professor that said, uh, you can still make a living in farming and ranching these days, but you can't do it if you got to buy the land. And um, nobody had ever said anything about all my family. My dad works for the schools. His ground, his dad and ground and uncles worked for the schools so they could have the summers off to, to do the ranch and, and, and uh, be able to provide for their families during the, the winter. So I didn't really think there was a, uh, I never really thought there was an opportunity to make a living farming and ranching because nobody did really, not very many people do that here in, in uh, this valley, in the Chama Valley. Yeah. But I'd like to step back just for a second and 
and get um, Isabel, if you could explain to us um, a little bit more in depth, what is the Healthy Soils Working Group? Uh, you mentioned that this came out of legislation from the New Mexico State Legislature in 2019, but how did that come about and, and why now? Yeah, it's actually a little bit the other way around, that the legislation came out of um, our group's work. Um, okay. And I, <laughs> which is interesting because... I also think that's a really important thing to know that um, it's a grassroots movement and it really responds to what Tommy was saying that we do need education about soil health. We need to share information about soil health. And that is exactly what the Healthy Soil Act and the Healthy Soil Program that rolled out of the act is attempting to do or rather to really jumpstart. Um, it's not going to be just um, on the state legislature to do this work. It's really going to be on all of us. It, it needs to be widespread. It needs to be uh, from the bottom up as far as I'm concerned. Well, that, that's, that's interesting. I'd like to dive into that a little bit more because um, we have a lot of needs and initiatives around this state, whether it be childhood education or uh, dealing with the opioid uh, crisis, so on and so forth. What made the New Mexico Soils Working Group so successful in getting this to the state legislature, through the state legislature, getting the governor's support? H how were you so successful? Because I'm sure other state initiatives who are at the grassroots level would like to emulate your success. Yes. So the way I look at it, it the time was right. The time was right and the time was ripe. <laughs> Both. Both. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> so there was, there had been, a lot of work had been done already by, you know, lots of um, agricultural groups and, um, you know, individuals that really, um, there had been other resolutions had been passed. Um, and there's a whole soil health movement underway nationwide. So we are not um, operating in a vacuum by any means. So we really, um, all it needed was to pull together this, this groundswell of support. And we were able to um, have the, the draft bill endorsed by really over 150 now food and agriculture related organizations. And we also wow. really had, um, yes, dozens of farms and ranches that were directly involved. And, and you know, these people are, um, they are invaluable. I mean, this is who does calls to the legislators' offices, who writes letters and emails. And right. those are constituents. And <laughs> we tend to forget, perhaps, that these legislators, our politicians, are elected. If someone in their district says this is important, they actually listen. And nothing is more, um, more convincing than a farmer or a rancher in the roundhouse. Right, that is true. The the agricultural community in this state carries quite a bit of weight in Santa Fe. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's a great point that you bring up. Um, it's something that my daughter, who's sixteen, we were actually talking about last night. Um, um, having people be aware of the impact that they can have on our system. Um, she was talking in particular about uh, changing some things at the Taos High, Taos High School. Um, and that some of the kids were just gaining this awareness of the impact that they can actually have on the system and the power they have. And you're speaking to that. Absolutely. And the other thing that I believe is important 
especially for young people to, to know, you can write legislation. So this, the, Cell, the Healthy Soil Act is actually copy-pasted from a couple other state initiatives, and then we amended it and, and fitted it to, to whatever we needed here in New Mexico. But it, you don't have to have a law degree. Right. right. <laughs> I right. didn't know that either. But so it turns out it's it's quite possible. And then, of course, um, Legislative Council looks it over once you have a sponsor in the roundhouse. They look it over, make sure all the um, I's are dotted and all the T's are crossed. So you, you can't go wrong in that regard. But it is something that we don't participate in actively enough. The actual writing of legislation and and putting our vision of how to do this maybe a little differently than how it's set up um, policy, putting that vision into practice, I don't think we make enough use of it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I'm glad you brought that up. And Tommy, you were also part of that Healthy Soils Working Group pushing this legislation, right? Um, from a very limited role, uh, Isabel's kept me in the loop on on it all and and gotten the stuff that needed signatures to me and um and then making the phone calls and stuff i did was able to reach out to some legislators um as i had actually was working with some of them on a on a different project for for uh grant monies that we're getting here at for our operation from economic development so um yeah that's that's about the the role I had in that. Okay. All right. So this legislation passed uh, in, in what, January, February uh, 2019? That's correct. Yeah, it, it passed actually um, unanimously in the Senate after bipartisan support in the House, which is really re- remarkable. And then um, the governor signed it on April 2nd last year. Great. So Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham, our New Mexico state governor, signed it. Correct. Yes. And she's very much in support of that. We're lucky in that she had uh, a position on the agricultural committee in, in Washington before she became governor here. So she has a very good understanding of the importance of agriculture and also of the importance of soil health. Okay. So, so now we have this Healthy Soils program in New Mexico. Is it funded by the, the state? Yes. So in the first year, we had a pilot year and it was funded by $375,000. Now this year, of course, with the coronavirus crisis, everything is up in the air. We will most likely have a special session as we're talking in the beginning of April. We don't really know when that will be. But, you know, a budget has been passed. what is in there is $227,000 for this healthy soil program um, with a match from NRCS, from the federal um, conservation, soil conservation service that, that um, Tommy mentioned also. Um, so they will match it. But we again, we don't know how much there will be in the end, um, given the, the, the crisis situation. What do you do with that money? <laughs> That's the in in a state like New Mexico. I think you know uh, other uh, people from other states listen to uh, this podcast, and um, I, so I think it's worth noting that you know New Mexico is one of the poorest states in the country. Um, we 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 don't have the kind of budgets that other 
states have. And so, you know, $350,000 or even $200,000 is, is quite significant in this state. What, what do you do with that money? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Like a little money goes long ways in New Mexico. <laughs> I, you know, I, yes. Um, but on the other hand, I'm under no um, impression that this money alone will be sufficient to make a huge dent in or really help people within our state transition to soil health. Um, I mean, this can be, it, it can be difficult, right? And it can be costly. So at the, at the end of the day, you just really have to be innovative. And I think Tommy is a, is a great example of that. You know, if you have the knowledge and um, you are being creative, um, it, it doesn't have to cost a lot of money. And at the end of the day, healthy soil is more uh, profitable because it that's <laughs> what your business is based upon, right? That you have more um, more healthy soil, you have more healthy um, grass, then your cows grow fatter. They, I mean, Tommy should say all this. He knows. Yeah, that. yeah Tommy, let's, let's go <laughs> yeah. over to you. Um, um, what 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 is innovative about what are, what you're doing, and how does the this healthy soils program uh, work for you? How do you take advantage of it as a grower? Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> first on this, so the soil that's kind of how over the last few years my mindset and my operation has really shifted to focusing on on the soil um, and trying to keep it healthy keep it covered with with forage and litter so my mind shift is my mind is mindset's really shifted to that you know the soil is really where where i need to focus on and if i focus on my soil everything else is going to just fall in in place um there's still the uh micro uh things that you have to do managing the the cattle and where they are for how long they're there and, and um and how many are there but the um yeah the soil is is everything the so what we're trying to do um is is manage our grazing so that we keep plants in the vegetative state as long as possible throughout the growing season because when you let um you let you let a pasture rest through the grip the growing season it just it grows up and goes to seed and then with us we have cool seasons here so they, they grow in the spring and kind of peak by mid-June, early July, and then they have a, a re-growth re period with the uh, moisture in late summer, early fall, and when the period, when the temperatures get cooler again. Um, but so they, they grow to go to seed, and you don't really get as you don't have a green living growing plant and living growing roots in the soil for the whole growing season as you would by managing the livestock to keep the plants in the vegetative state longer. Okay. So what, just to clarify, so what you're saying is, is one of the um, tools that you're using to improve your soil and hold your soil is to keep the plants growing, extend their kind of growing season or um, so they don't go dormant. Is that right? Correct. Okay. Yes. And you're using your animals to do that. We're using our cows. How do you do that? Portable hot wire. So I have my irrigated pastures and my non-irrigated pastures. 
And what I do on the irrigated pastures, I can graze them more frequently because I can water after I graze it. So, um, but I, what I do is I use the portable hot wire and I take one field and turn it into a bunch of small pastures and I move every, every two, three days. And, um, what we're targeting is trying to keep a stubble height, uh, of about five, four to five inches. So you're keeping some blades on that plant, that grass plant, and you're, you're keeping that solar panel available to catch sunlight and, and maintain that plant's growth. If you graze it too short, you get rid of the solar panels. That's, you know, so like, right. that's the same as if you had, a, you had half as many solar panels as you needed to run your house if you were living off grid, you know, um, you're not going to have the power to to run everything at one time it's the same thing with grass if you if you take it too short so so we try to keep it at that we we keep the cows moving through and then when we get through that we can irrigate behind them and and uh, really get that growth accelerated because we just need water to grow plants need water to grow and so do you Um, so how many months a year do you think you've got plants in their vegetative state you've got plants growing We've got plants growing all the way to about mid-October. So from about mid-March, uh, depending on the spring, this, this right. spring, it, it warmed up. Last spring, we had a really cool, very cool spring that we didn't get grass, green grass started till about the end of the first week of April. This okay. year, it started two, two weeks ago already. Right, yeah. So 2020 is turning out to be a little little warmer earlier than 2019. Yeah. So from about that time to about the middle of October, maybe the end of October, we'll still have some some green pastures, uh, mostly on our irrigated pastures. Because what I with uh, we've I've converted from flood to some side roll sprinklers, which it takes way less water to irrigate with sprinklers, and we're acequia fed, so I pump off of the acequia, and um, we don't have a reservoir. It's all from runoff from the Brazos River on um, all my pastures. And so what I do is we don't have enough water come mid-July, August. There's not hardly enough water to be able to flood these pastures like we normally historically have. Um, so I've converted to these sidewall sprinklers to be able to, I'm using way less water and I'm able to water longer through the growing season and that's what's uh, really helped me the most at being able to keep the uh, vegetative forage longer through the year and to see do you also like increase your herd size i guess two questions do you when you graze these pastures um is it kind of like uh you you it's more intensive grazing um and do you have more animals on a smaller piece of land than, than maybe we traditionally think? Oh yeah, definitely. It's, um, I'm a little more than modern. Well, I wouldn't say modern. I'm not as intensive as, as a lot of, uh, people's grazing, um, uh, you know, kind of the gurus of the intensive grazing management. Um, uh, like, not, like holistic like Alan, resource management yeah, and Alan like Savory Alan, and Alan Savory and um, uh, Greg Judy, right? Uh, Jim Garish, those guys. I probably am like half the stocking rate of them, but I'm also, but they they've got a lot more pasture than us. So, right. but but yeah, we're I'm trying to really 
get them down to that's why we do i do a pasture that lasts at least two three days and these are usually these are my um finishing beeves that we've were grass finishing um they uh they range they start off well we grow them from birth to finish so when we wean them then they go on to pasture and then we have to supplemental feed through the winter and doing that when we're feeding they're kind of open to the whole pasture but now as spring comes and the grass starts growing we'll start getting our pasture smaller and keeping the same numbers but keeping in mind that they're always growing so technically your pounds per acre of animal is continuously growing as the growing season goes um and yeah so as they it just it's it's really a balancing act and just looking at the pasture and trying to figure how much you have um there's not really any because as the season grows on you your grass is growing so you're producing more forage um so your pastures it's just they're always the the size of paddocks that last us two to three days are always changing like they're not always the same size Hi, this is Christy Nortez, Executive Director of the Taos Land Trust. For 30 years, we've been keeping working lands in working hands. To do that, we need your help. We need your cash. Please donate at tauslandtrust.org slash donate. Thank you. I'm talking to Isabel Yangchens of the New Mexico Healthy Soils Working Group and Tommy Casados, a cattle grower uh, in Tierra Maria, New Mexico. Isabel, there's five soil health principles that form the basis of this law. Can we, I'd like to go through those and then I'd like to, Tommy to talk about how he's applying those. Yeah, so I've listened with great interest. Um, I think actually Tommy already um, covered them pretty much all of them without perhaps spelling them out. Yeah, and that's, that's what I'd like to do is kind of spell them out for the listeners. Okay, that yeah. sounds great. Yeah, no, and what I really find important about um, what Tommy just um, related in in uh, in great detail is so interesting is that there really is no one size fits all recipe for how to achieve soil health on your operation on your piece of land or even in your garden. What is really important is to monitor, to look what's happening, and then to adjust as you go. What Tommy just said, that the pastures are never the same, that is so important. It's, it's, not, um, it's not a fixed system. And this is really why we um, have the soil health principles in the Healthy Soil Act rather than a set of practices that are more or less prescribed or supported or how, how would you have it. So um, the first soil health principle is really keep the soil covered. And uh, the best way to, to do that is um, to grow a dense and diverse carpet of plants, um, either grasses or um, you know, crops. And that way you offer the microbes in the soil, both food and shelter, because that is what it's all about. It's about life in the soil, feeding the soil microbes and for that to work, they need life plants to grow. And I think that's a, I just want to add on, I think that's really a, a key component to this is looking at soil as a living process, as its own living entity. 
Correct. That's really at the heart of how we're looking at soil health. And that is that is quite a stretch from um, looking at soil as just a substrate for growing in. And it's even a move away from looking at what was called soil quality, looking at soil function, uh, which that was how it was um, really taught even, I, don't, I think, 10 years ago or so. But now we are really learning more and more about soil biology. And it's difficult because you can't see this stuff. So, yeah, you know, right. we're not doing so well with that. But it's it's fascinating. Once you get into it and once you look through a microscope, you, you just will be hooked. Or, I mean, you can you can just look above ground and that tells you a lot about what's going on below ground as well. So we've got one of the soil health principles is keeping the microbial life happy. Keep the soil covered. Keep the soil covered. All right, we'll start with that. Keep yeah. the soil covered. And what's the second one? Well, what you just said, <laughs> keep the microbial life happy is probably the overarching principle <laughs> par excellence, you know? Uh-huh, right. The second one uh, is minimize soil disturbance and in external inputs. Um, and that one you have to... Um, sort of divide up a little bit because in ranching you actually want a certain amount of disturbance and Tommy did talk about that a little bit you need you have um, a little bit of disturbance by hoof action which is actually very good for the soil and it it helps also to regenerate the uh, the, the, the seed bank that's already um, in the soil that is a different uh, kettle of fish, but on cropland, it's mostly about tilling and chemical fertilizers, herbicides and pesticides, all of which can harm the web of life in the ground. Aha, uh -huh. okay. All right, that's number two. Number three? Number three is maximize biodiversity. So greater diversity above and below the ground creates more resilience and more productive working lands. So all of the plants and the insects and the animals work together to provide a varied diet for soil organisms. You you want to think of your farm as an ecosystem, right? You know, you're not you're not you um, you're embedded in uh, a greater good. Not you're not um, uh, apart from it. That is really at the heart of it. And I think that that's that's a, again one of these important principles that um, I think agriculture in general. I'm I'm generalizing here, um, has, has moved away from over the past, say, 100 years is, is integrating, the, uh, seeing agriculture as part of the larger ecosystem. Yes. Again, that is quite a paradigm shift. But I don't think we have a choice. I think we have to make this shift. And, and I believe looking at what's happening in New Mexico, and like I said, there's this whole movement behind our legislative work. I'm very positive. I'm very hopeful about that. Okay. What's the next principle? Maintaining living roots. And Tommy spoke to that um, in terms of ranching. We have um, warm season grasses. We have uh, cold season grasses. We also have forbs. I mean, we have a lot more than just grass that's uh, growing on pasture, right? And so you want to have something alive in the ground at all times, even if it's under the snow doesn't matter, right? So in, in ranching, you have those different uh, grasses and forbs. And then in, in cropland, you have often, um, you employ cover crops, for example, if you can't grow something year-round. So that um, the cover crops get started in the fall and then they stay under the snow. And so that's what the, 
the soil organisms can cling to, and they go a little dormant, but then they pop right back into action in the spring. Right. Tommy, talk a little bit about the the connection between water and soil. How does how does how does having healthy soils improve your water use? So uh, yeah, the healthier the soil, the more active the hydrologic cycle is going to be, and and groundwater will be recharged more easily with uh, a healthier soil. Uh, a healthier soil that has lots of living roots in it is uh, more arable, so it the permeability of it is better. The so the the absorption rate at which water fills into the soil is is better which reduces um, ponding <clears throat> so when you have a, a compact very poor soil that, that doesn't soak in water very readily um, that's when you start getting your erosion problems and and you start losing your topsoils that's what will get washed away i like you know this concept of of slowing the water holding the water because um, you touched on that, when when water uh, when soil is not healthy, we get um, lots of erosion because the water is just moving across the land faster. But you're talking about really holding it and slowing it down. Yeah, exactly. We we want to keep it in place. We want to keep as much of water that we apply from irrigation or that falls from the sky. We want that to soak in place so that it'll be. Uh, available for for our plants to grow and use um, just plants when uh, the saturation point of a uh, soil it gets less than fifty percent you'll you start to see a um, decline in the growth of of all the plants that are contained in that soil so it's very important um, to maintain a, a healthy uh, porous just a healthy porous soil that's going to absorb water infiltration rate faster than, than an unhealthy soil. Right. Yeah. I just wanted to add to that because that's such an important um, topic, the water benefits of healthy soil, because we, um, we, we often hear um, that you can't have healthy soil in New Mexico because it needs water. Right. And we right. can't make it rain. Supposedly right? we can't make it rain. Um, although there is actually some research that um, if you increase soil health, that you have more localized rain, which is a very interesting. Um, but in general, what is very, um, I think, vis visceral is that a healthy soil, you can imagine it looking like a sponge with all those pores that, that Tommy described, right? The, the sort of pore spaces. And so it's able to hold on to the rain that we do get much better and it's absorbed and stored in the ground and it, it feeds the plants that feed your business that feed us right so that's that's this this uh, beneficial cycle and in another point that's really important and huge actually is that it also reduces evaporation because you have a covered soil be it with mulch or with live plants um, and you have much less loss to evaporation which is enormously beneficial to your to your plants and then also it improves water quality by filtering pollutants and in that sense it you know Im improves the water quality for for the whole watershed for all of us you know one of the things isabel mentioned that in that was kind of goes to the the question of the bottom line so for you tommy um why don't you start off with this one is how 
how is soil health good for a grower's bottom line? Whether you be a farmer, uh, you know, growing vegetables or, or, a, or a cattle grower, are you, you able to improve your income by improving your soil health? Definitely. As we improve our soil health, we, we're actually able to increase our forage production, thus allowing us to be uh, more productive on a per acre basis. And it's the least expensive way to do it, to be as productive as you can. When you think about it like that, it's so mind-boggling. Why would we want to spend all this money for the inputs to maximize, that are supposed to maximize production? We know they don't. They do on a short-term basis, but not over a long-term basis. And you can still be as productive without those inputs and have a much healthier operation. It seems kind of like a radical idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you're spending less because you're not using uh, chemical or or fertilizer inputs, and you're at, and you're and then you're gaining more in the long run because because you've got this healthier soil. It is really that simple, and unfortunately, sometimes we're suspicious of the simple solutions. But that's really it. We've always um, in the you know last decades or so we've. We've always talked about yield and increasing the yield, and we've not paid enough attention uh, to how much it actually costs the farmers and the ranchers to achieve that yield. Uh, the investment in all these inputs is horrendous. The farmers are making now, I think, seven or eight cents on the dollar. All of the rest of it goes to inputs to middle men or women, you know, that that are um, having, you know, that are selling selling inputs or selling pesticides or whatever. So to take that um, to take that profit back and to put it back into the pockets of our farmers and ranchers by um, improving soil health and moving away from, from all these inputs, it, it's huge. It's a huge opportunity. And then it helps that local community because, for example, Tommy, if you make more money, you can spend it in... in Chama or Tierra Maria in, in your local community and, and benefit that local economy. Definitely. We can expand our operation and bring on more workers, more help to you know, create some jobs here in our local community and, and um, something that's also kind of a side passion for me is, is get these younger. Well, there's a lot of local kids in these rural communities that they don't have um, many job opportunities here, right. but they don't want to leave. They don't want to live in the city. The city isn't for them. They, they like the outdoors, the, the, the opportunities we have here. Um, we have some kids that um, they love being out looking for horns and hunting. And, and this is a wealth of resource for that stuff up here. And so, it, and so if we can provide them jobs and they're also interested in farming and doing the cowboy kind of work, you know, um, we can show these kids that you can make a living and stay here and, and help this community thrive. That's a, mm. that's a big win-win for it all. It's so amazing how it all ties back to soil health. It, it just, we got to start there and then it trickles down. It's foundational. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Tommy, in that same vein, like, I'm really curious, I mentioned this earlier, but I'm really curious of how do you, um, share this information? How do you share this knowledge that you've gained? Um, do you have local, other local 
growers coming to check out what you're doing or what, what do you do to, to kind of evangelize on soil health? Um, what I do is I do a lot of posts, video and photo posts on social media, on our Facebook and Instagram for our followers, which most of our, a lot of our followers, followers are our, our customers that buy our beef that we produce directly from us. How can people find you on say Facebook or Instagram? Yeah. On Instagram, we are C4 farms at C4 farms, the letter C, the number four. On Facebook, we are C4 Farms Grass-Fed Beef. But um, that's, how, that's how I mostly share all this stuff. Um, I'm really good friends with a, a retired soil scientist who uh, just so happens to be a, a neighbor ran- uh, rancher, neighbor rancher of my family's here. And um, we, he and I talk a lot about it. His, him being a soil scientist, he's retired in RCS. And, and um, it's always great talking to him because he, he knows what <laughs> we can, we can have a conversation, no fear of one or the other thinking, what the heck are you talking about? Just right. put your cows out there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but maybe this is my plug for the soil health champions too. <laughs> yeah, go for it. Because yeah. I wanted to, to kind of transition into talking about how the Healthy Soils Working Group um, also shares this information. What, what, what do we do? Uh, to get the word out there about this, Isabel? Really, the the best way to share this information is like farmer to farmer, rancher to rancher, neighbor to neighbor, friend to friend. Um, and whether it's through the Rocky Mountain Farmers Union, which is a great group indeed, um, or then what um, we are doing with the Healthy Soil Working Group is we are um, partnering with the National Association of Conservation Districts to really amp up their uh, soil Health Champions Network. This is a nationwide network, and um, within that, there's statewide networks. So we really want to see the network in New Mexico grow from just about a handful of champions right now to 100 next year, because we know you guys are out there. You know, you're doing the good work in your communities, but we need to um, be able to share it, and we can we can help with that. We have a few resources uh, we can coordinate. And it's really the idea, not that you are a champion, but that you're championing soil health. So it's a verb, right? Mm-hmm. right. Um, and you're you're learning together um, and you're sharing with each other the progress. And you can support each other as well in sort of barn raising type events. And that should that should all be really fun. And we have some information about that on our website nmhealthysoil.org soil singular so it's nmhealthysoil.org we're talking with isabel jenkins of the new mexico healthy soils working group and tommy casados a cattle grower located in tierra maria new mexico um i want to switch gears a little bit as we we kind of like wind down here the Taos Land Trust is um, the lucky beneficiary of two Healthy Soils grants for this year and is partners with the Taos Valley Aseki Association um, on another Healthy Soils grant that, uh, that the Aseki Association just got. Isabel, what are we, uh, what are we doing there uh, at the Taos Land Trust? So first of all, um, congratulations. I'm so stoked that you guys got the grant. So um, I didn't actually answer an earlier uh, question from you. 
um, what the Healthy Soil Act does, what the Healthy Soil Program does. But this is one of the aspects of the Healthy Soil Program is the um, the, the grant uh, funding that goes out to projects on the ground, such as uh, now um, being done through the Taos Land Trust, but also through um, really just farmers and ranchers um, with their soil and water conservation districts, with their acequias, with tribes, with pueblos. Um, so th those are all kinds of projects on the ground. Now in this first year, we had 19 of those pilot projects that were funded through the Healthy Soil Program. And then we also have 19 educational projects um, as well funded through the Healthy Soil Program. And so that is really significant that we have these efforts now going on and just starting actually as we speak um, on the ground in New Mexico. And just full disclosure, the Taos Land Trust is the recipient of two grants from the Healthy Soils Working Group. Uh, the first one is one of the educational grants, um, kind of an agricultural workforce development grant. We've hired several interns um, under a cost share program with New Mexico Healthy Soils um, to get uh, some young folks out on the land learning the principles of healthy soils. The other um, grant has directly to do with our work at Rio Fernando Park. It's kind of a uh, continuing soil health work because we've uh, we've spent the last couple years there doing um, soil health uh, improvement anyway. But this added grant from the New Mexico uh, Healthy Soils Working Group is going to allow us to do some soil testing, some of which that we can um, we can assess right there with our interns and others that'll be sent other soil testing techniques where the they need to be sent away to the lab. But with that information, we'll be able to uh, do some strategy implementation to um, to see how we can take the next step. Um, and get to the next level as far as our soil health. Also within, included in with that grant for Rio Fernando Park is, um, is some money for some uh, cover crops, uh, in particular seed for our pollinator habitat. Uh, part of our long-term goal in restoring uh, health to the soil at Rio Fernando Park involves uh, returning large sections of that land to a native wildflower and native grasses habitat. So with those grants from New Mexico Healthy Soils, we can, uh, we can do that over the coming year. Yeah, that's great. What are some, what are some examples of pilot projects? What are, what are some of the standout projects for you? Yeah, what I really like about it is that it's really a range of projects. So we have, for example, a new community garden that is going to be built in Albuquerque. And so they, you know, they get funding to um, start off on the right foot with soil health. Um, and you can have um, one project, they have like um, some soil work that's being done in terms of, um, um, well, I guess um, more barriers for the soil that it doesn't wash away, but then also seeding and planting. And so it's like a really multifaceted project. So you can see that, and, and then also some, seeding of um, native pasture, for example, um, so that you get some seeds or then just some small contributions such as just uh, cover crop seeds for a farmer, a young farmer that's just starting off and they want to have 
some some uh, spring covers that they just get a little subsidy for. So you can see there's a whole range of um, of um, funding that went out. Great. Tommy, do you want to add anything in as we're wrapping up? Yeah, you know, kind of going back to maintaining healthy soils, I uh, just kind of, as we were, as I was listening, recalled, I listened to a podcast the other day with an interview with a, a gentleman out of Georgia who runs White Oak Pastures. Are you familiar with him? I am not. Awesome. He, uh, he Have you heard of Epic Bars? Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is what really intrigued me because... Uh, he, like he those. supplies the meat for Epic Bars, his farm. Okay. He raises cattle, chickens, turkeys, pigs. I mean, but what was really interesting to me was that he, uh, so uh, General Mills bought Epic Bar from the couple that initially started it and, and started with him supplying their their meat for them. And um, when they took over, uh, they, he said that General Mills was real skeptical about his regenerative ag claims, and um, they funded a study for a whole year on his operation, and to determine, you know, if he was uh, net positive or net negative on CO two emissions. Well, it comes to find out through the year long study of his farm, they are storing three and a half pounds of carbon equivalent CO two equivalent per pound of meat produced. I was a little surprised to hear that because, you know, we constantly see this bombardment of articles about, um, you know, one of the ways to help deal with climate change is, uh, is to be vegetarian. Stop eating meat because um, uh, uh, cattle growing and animal farms uh, contribute so much to the carbon and the methane problem. Um, but you're saying that, that, that because he's running his operation in a healthy soils, regenerative, regenerative agriculture sort of way, he's storing carbon. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the meme goes, it's not the cow, it's the how. That's right. That's yeah. awesome. I have not heard that, but that is awesome. Okay. We have to spread that meme. I've been talking with Isabel Jenkins of the New Mexico Healthy Soils Working Group and Tommy Casados, a cattle grower located in Tierra Maria, New Mexico. Um, if you want to learn more about the New Mexico Healthy Soils Initiative, you can go to www.nmhealthysoil.org. You can find Tommy on Instagram at letter C, number four, farms. So that's C4 farms. And on Facebook at C4 Farms Grass-Fed Beef. All of our podcasts are located either on SoundCloud or on our website, which is www.tauslandtrust.org. Isabel and Tommy, thank you guys so much for uh, your time this morning. Thanks, Jim. That was fun. You're very welcome, Jim. Thank you. You've been listening to the Taos Land Trust Podcast. This podcast was produced and recorded by Jim O'Donnell at the studios of KNCE 93.5 FM in Taos, New Mexico. Edited by Brett Tomadin. If you'd like to support this podcast, please visit www.taoslandtrust.org. This is Jim O'Donnell for the Taos Land Trust. Thank you for joining us.